It's Sunday, March 24th. I'm Mercedes Stevenson, and you're listening to the West Block Podcast. Here's what's making headlines this week. I want to thank uh, Michael Wernick for his uh, extraordinary service to Canada over many, many decades. The only person left to resign now is Justin Trudeau himself. Another effort to change the channel. Where the Liberals have shut down the process. After 13 hours, 10 witnesses over five weeks, we are confident that we did what we said we would do, which was provide information for two Canadians. Our fourth budget, very pleased with what we're able to do this year. This budget has no legitimacy. The Liberals can't seem to keep the SNC-Lavalin affair out of the spotlight. Jane Philpott told the magazine, quote, there's much more to the story that needs to be told. We uh, granted an unprecedented waiver so that people could be heard on this matter. The clerk of the Privy Council announced his resignation and the Liberal majority on the Justice Committee shut down the probe into the SNC-Lavalin affair. The opposition is asking the Ethics Committee to probe possible political interference. They'll meet on Tuesday. All of this comes as the government tabled its final budget before the election, with $4.2 billion in new spending and still no end to the deficit. It has been bombshell after political bombshell over the past week in the SNC-Lavalin scandal. On Monday, the clerk of the Privy Council resigned. Tuesday, the Liberals on the Justice Committee ended their probe into alleged political interference and blocked former Attorney General Jody Wilson-Raybould from appearing before the committee again. Then, MPs pulled an all-nighter for over 30 hours voting, and former Cabinet Minister Jane Philpott broke her silence to say there's much more Canadians need to know. So will the government allow Canadians to hear the full story. Joining me now from Burlington is Karina Gould, Minister of Democratic Institutions. Welcome to the show, Minister. Thanks for having me, Mercedes. We had a letter released by Jody Wilson-Raybould on Friday to the Justice Committee saying she has more to say and since she's not being called back in front of the committee, she's actually going to submit it in writing as, as a written testimony. We also heard from Jane Philpott last week in her interview with McLean's, in which talking about the SNC-Lavalin story and the Justice Committee shutting down, she said that she believes, quote, there's much more to the story that should be told and also went on to say, I believe we actually owe it to Canadians as politicians to ensure that they have the truth. In light of those two developments, do you believe that there should be an additional inquiry or investigation into the allegations that have been made? No, look, Mercedes, I think this is normal practice when it comes to committees. Witnesses are often invited to submit additional feedback or testimony or whatever evidence that they have after they have testified. Uh, the Justice Committee um, is welcoming that and, you know, Jody testified in front of the committee for almost four and a half hours. She had a 40-minute opening statement. Um, if you watch it, you know, the questions and the answers began to be repetitive. She had a she had a tremendous opportunity to provide additional information at that point, and I think that this is appropriate. Um, you know, what we were hearing from many people yesterday was, you know, if you feel like you have more to say, then say it. Uh, you know, the Order and Council gave you um, permission to speak about uh, anything related to SNC-Lavalin, and so I think that this is entirely 
um, you know, the right way to do this, and uh, the Justice Committee members will be seized with this matter, as they have been for the past six weeks. And we should also remember that the Ethics Commissioner is also investigating this. So there are two robust avenues and mechanisms that are looking into this issue. But when the Liberals were in opposition in 2013, and I'm looking at a quote here from Bob Ray, he said that there needed to be a public inquiry into the Senate scandal because, quote, it would be more fair and the light of day and the light of sunshine would be clear and expose everything and the public could see it. So why is it that the government feels that the Ethics Commissioner is sufficient in this case and there's no need for a public inquiry, but in opposition felt very differently about the Senate scandal? Well, so with regards to our view of public institutions and parliamentary officers, we have tremendous respect for the institutions of democracy and parliament here in this country and uh, feel that the Ethics Commissioner has absolutely the tools necessary to look into this. But also, I, I would like to remind you and anyone watching that the Justice Committee has been studying this for up to six weeks. They have but heard minister. from Jody herself. Um, she had four and a half hours to testify to put things on the record. Minister. They've heard from uh, the clerk of the Privy Council, from Jerry Butts, from uh, her former uh, deputy minister, the deputy minister of justice. They have had but minister, um, they much haven't occasion heard from minister to look Philpott. into this. And we've, it's all been in public. But, but they never well, heard so from Jane Philpott, and she's saying that she had a lot because said. one of that's an interesting question because uh, Jane, uh, you know, has as I've been seeing, uh, you know, throughout different reporting over the past couple of days, um, you know, is is hasn't actually been present in any of the meetings that were being discussed. Um, if Jane has something to say, she's a parliamentarian, and she can absolutely exercise her privilege to say that, um, as any parliamentarian can, uh, something that we've seen, you know, confirmed by numerous parliamentary experts. Um, and so there, there is an opportunity for her to, uh, to share. And, uh, you know, I think anyone feels that if there is something that, uh, um, needs to be said, that Canadians need to know about, um, then they should definitely put that on the record. Um, I think it's what we expect of politicians, uh, no matter what. But she was pretty clear in that interview with McLean's in saying that she thinks the inter alleged interference was inappropriate and that it's in a very serious criminal case. What's the harm in allowing these women to appear before the committee and, and to voice their concerns? And aren't you worried that otherwise there might be a perception that this is a cover-up? So, Mercedes, uh, Jody has written to the committee. She has said that she will be sharing more uh, information. She is absolutely within her right to do that. Uh, they both have mechanisms available to them, if they choose to, to uh, share this with Parliament. Um, and those are their decisions uh, that they are taking and how they pursue this matter. Um, you know, I I can't speak on their behalf. They they have to do that. Um, and you know the prime. Minister has waived uh, both cabinet confidence and solicitor client privilege for Jody, uh, something that is really unprecedented. It's only happened four times since 1987. Um, and so she can speak to anything with regards to SNC Lavalin. And that is the same as it is today as when she testified in front of the committee uh, a few weeks ago. Given that you're the minister in charge of democratic institutions, and we've heard in the testimony that elections and partisan political interests came up as reasons for trying to convince the Attorney General to intervene. Are you concerned about that, and do you believe that partisan political interests or elections are ever a valid reason to intervene in a criminal prosecution? 
Look, I'm not going to get into those conversations because that was not something that I was part of, and I don't want to speculate on uh, do you what believe the nature those are of those conversations reasons? were. Because we've heard two very different, we've heard two very different sides um, of this. But one thing that I do think is really important, and it's something I mentioned when I was on your show last time, is that of course, as cabinet ministers, we are going to be having difficult discussions. Of course, we are going to be bringing up a number of issues and how they impact. Canadians, because that is our job as politicians, as representatives, to ensure that we are reflecting the diversity of the economy across our country, to make sure that we're reflecting the, the very real interests and impacts that it will have on our constituents. My job as a member of parliament is twofold. On the one hand, it's to represent what's happening here in my community. And if that means that there are potential job losses in my community, I have to stand up for those people. That is part of my responsibility. The other part, as a cabinet minister and as a member of parliament in Ottawa is to look at the national picture and to understand how that applies within it. These are complex issues that have a lot of context to them. And I think Canadians expect us as parliamentarians, as politicians, and as representatives of them to make sure that we're having these difficult, challenging, complex conversations, regardless of what the issue is. Do you believe these two women can stay in the Liberal caucus? So both of them have stated that they continue to believe in the Liberal Party. Um, they both have stated that they support the agenda and the values and the um, programs that we have put in place. In fact, both of them, you know, played key roles in some of the big files that we did, medical assistance in dying, the legalization of cannabis, um, you know, to name a couple of them. And so they have they have said that. And I think that, you know, if that's the case, then they sh also uh, likely must have, uh, you know, confidence in the leader um, and but in what we're doing. But they've said they don't have confidence you know, in that, the leader. That's up to them to, to decide and to say. And, you know, at this point, the Liberal Party has always been a welcoming party. We are a big tent party. We have people with a range of diversity and viewpoints and that helps us get to good policy because we hear from people across the country across the political spectrum and we take all of that into account and so you know I welcome diverse views and in fact that's something that the Prime Minister has been you know really clear on and that's something that we have been really proud of as a caucus to make sure that we're having those really difficult conversations and so I hope that we can continue in that vein uh, despite you know, different viewpoints. Minister, we have to wrap it up there because we are out of time, but thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. The opposition wants the Ethics Committee to take on the investigation into whether Justin Trudeau's government tried to inappropriately interfere in the SNC-Lavalin affair. That committee is set to meet on Tuesday. Here to talk about it with me in studio for the NDP is Daniel Blakey and in Toronto, Conservative Lisa Wright. Uh, Lisa, let's start with this remarkable letter that was sent by Jody Wilson-Raybould on Friday saying that she still has evidence she wants to give to the Justice Committee. They're not recalling her to testify, so she says she is is going to put it down in writing and send it in. Are the Conservatives going to try to get the Justice C Committee to reopen their probe into this? 
For sure. Um, we're going to use any means that we can in order to allow Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Felpot to come forward and tell the complete story, because that's what Canadians want to have, the complete story. But they need to have that waiver from the Prime Minister in order to do so. I'm glad that uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould is sending the packet of information in. She took it under advisement during her testimony, whether or not she would submit it. I'm glad she's doing it. I just can't believe the Liberals are losing the opportunity to actually cross-examine her or test her on the evidence if they don't reopen the committee. It would be a shame. Daniel, do you think that they'll reopen the committee or do you think they're going to stick to their guns? I don't know what they're going to do. I mean, if there's been one consistent theme in this story, it's that I just think the Liberals really don't know what they're doing. I think if you take a step back and you said, is this a government that's serious about ensuring that these women who have raised important issues of principle get to tell their whole story, their behavior doesn't fit that at all. I mean, so why, you know, we're, 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 we, we had, I guess, an investigation at the Justice Committee. Certainly we heard some testimony, but there was no report issued by the committee on, on the testimony that they heard. Um, the opposition is just trying to bring it up, and rightly, you know, uh, at other uh, committees. I suggested in the House yesterday when Jane Philpott's story broke that, that the House uh, meet in a committee of the whole to hear from them, uh, because we're looking for ways to just get these women to be able to tell the truth about what happened. They've been very clear that there's more to tell. So if you look at the way the government is handling this, this is not the behavior of a government that's serious about creating the conditions uh, for uh, people who obviously have something important to tell that Canadians want to hear to be able to do it. Lisa, do you think that you'll have a better chance at the Ethics Committee? It has a Conservative chair, but there's still a Liberal majority. Do you have any indication they're going to be more receptive to this than the Justice Committee was? It's a different set of Liberal MPs who sit on the Ethics Committee, or at least supposed to. I don't know whether or not they're going to substitute in different people on Tuesday. Um, and certainly they'll make the pitch to, meaning our guys will make the pitch, to say the reasons why we believe that there should be some kind of availability for people to come forward and tell the story in full. Uh, and we'll have to be in the hands of the committee to see what happens. Just having the chair isn't necessarily uh, the winner. Uh, we have to have one of the Liberal MPs to vote with the opposition on this. Lisa, what happens to Jody Wilson-Raybould's written testimony if justice doesn't reopen the probe? Will the Canadian public ever have a chance to see it? My understanding is that, yes, that these are documents that are being sent into the committee. Um, if she were to give her testimony to the committee, it would all be available and open to Canadians. The notion that it would not be allowed to go to Canadians, I think, has to be put in place by a vote of the committee, meaning a Liberal would have to say, I move that we do not release this material. That would be extraordinary, Mercedes. I can't imagine how people would take that lying down, that they know that the material is coming, that's going to help clarify the matter, and then the Liberal MPs vote to suppress it. I think I'm going to bet on the fact that this testimony will come out. Daniel, if the Justice Committee says, we're not going to let anyone see this, or we will, but we're not talking about it any further, and the Ethics Committee says, no thanks, taking a pass, what are your next steps to try to continue to press this issue? Are there other committees or other ways that you can pursue this? Well, of course, you'll know that the NDP has been calling for a public inquiry, because not only do we need to create the space for Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott to be able to tell their story, but we also would like somebody who's clearly independent to be in charge of investigating what's going on and to deliver some findings to, to Canadians to give them a sense of what actually happened, what were the salient points, and what conclusions should be drawn. We never had that at the Liberal Justice Committee uh, anyway. W what they've done by shutting that down isn't blocking Canadians from getting good findings. I don't 
think those were on offer in the first place, but what they did do was block further testimony. So public inquiry is certainly what we think is the gold standard and what we should be doing. Um, but there are other ways. So part of that is, you know, you probably heard Liberals uh, um, recently saying, well, they could just get up in Parliament and, and mm -hmm. tell their story and they're protected by parliamentary privilege. Well, I mean, anybody who's been in the House for any amount of time knows that MPs just can't get up and talk about whatever they want whenever they want. And so uh, if the government was actually proposing that in good faith, what they would be doing is working with the other parties to set aside time in the House of Commons. That's another option. I mean, all of these things are less good options than having a proactive plan for a properly ordered inquiry that hears from everybody that ought to be heard from. So yeah, we're going to keep looking for options. There are some options available, but as we go down the line, they're all the next best option. Lisa, what do you say to people who say, this is a game of political cat and mouse? You know, why do they keep saying, I have a secret, I have something to say, but not just coming out and saying it? If it's so bad, if it's so serious, why won't they stand up in the House and simply say what they have to say? Well, I find it interesting that the, the Liberals are trying to put the onus and the blame on Jody Wilson-Raybould and Jane Philpott, saying that, well, they could just come forward, can't they? When the reality is, is that their legal advice says that they can't, that they must be relieved of their obligations that they feel they have by the Prime Minister. So it's really in their hands. And the reality is, what this all boils down to at the end of the day is that somebody in the Prime Minister's office and the Prime Minister himself try to put pressure on the Attorney General because they're worried about an election coming. Coming, both in Quebec and federally, because this notion of 9,000 jobs at SNC-Lavalin going, well, we've pretty much put that to rest, haven't we? That's not the case. That's not what the CEO said. That's not what the CEO told the prime minister. So this number phantomly appears as they try to push a narrative on the attorney general when it comes down to votes in an election. And that has to be looked into. That is crass political interference with a criminal justice issue. And Canadians want to know exactly what happened. We just have a couple of seconds left, so I want a quick yes or no from both of you on a tough question. If you had MPs sitting in your caucus, like Jane Philpott and Jody Wilson-Raybould, criticizing the leader, would you allow them to say, Lisa, first? Um, I, so we have a different, it's not yes or no for us. We have a process. We would vote on whether or not they would be allowed to stay in caucus, and I'd have to hear from them specifically. But if it's the same okay. fact set, if it's the same fact set as what we have, I would vote yes. Keep them. Daniel? I mean, this isn't a typical case of criticizing the leader. This is a case of whistleblowing within government right. on serious political interference so in the independence of the justice system. Uh, yes. they, well, they need to be able to say what they're going to what they're going to say, and if they and if they want to stay, then that's something that there should be some kind of appropriate decision making uh, process. Okay, for. we have to wrap it up there. Thank you very much to both of our MPs. We'll talk to you both again soon. Thank, Thank you very you Mercedes. much. The government unveiled its election year budget last week with about $4.2 billion in new spending and another significant deficit. The budget promises money to help students with their debt, millennials with their first homes, and cash for skills training. But will these programs help Canadians? I sat down with Finance Minister Bill Morneau the day after the budget. Here's that conversation. Big day for you. You brought the budget down yesterday. And in the budget, one of the big things you promised is the first-time home buyers incentive. Now, it's aimed to help, you said, people in Toronto and Vancouver in particular, where it can be so expensive to buy a home. But the RBC chief economist, Robert Hogue, said that the action addresses the demand side of things, but not the supply. And as a result, quote from him, it's likely to raise prices and that will erase any kind of benefit. So why are you doing this? 
I think that uh, what you have to do in looking at what we've done in around the housing market is to consider all of the measures. So first of all, we've been on this for a few years. We've made some really important measures to ensure that we have affordable housing across the country, a national housing strategy, which is about increasing supply. We've also, of course, put in measures including the stress tests that have actually dealt with stabilizing the market. So this year we did a number of things and first and foremost we did focus on supply. We put in place 10 billion dollars of investment financing for rental construction financing. That's an important supply measure. We put in place a 300 million dollar fund for municipalities to apply to tell us how they can increase supply. So these are big and important measures. But the measure that we're talking about for first-time home buyers, what we're doing is we're looking at those people that just can't quite get into the market. So it's for people that have $120,000 or less in annual income. It's a program that is intended to allow them to have a shared equity mortgage with the CMHC, with the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation, meaning that they can actually move some of that mortgage to the CMHC, reduce their monthly mortgage payments, and get into the housing market sooner. In terms of its impact on demand, we've modeled it out and based on the constraints we've put, we don't see an impact on demand, a very, very modest one. What we do see is that this can potentially take our current first-time home buyer market, which has about 100,000 buyers, to maybe 120, 130, or 140,000 families getting into a first-time home. So a big impact for those families, but not an impact on demand, and especially not when you consider all the other measures we're doing to enhance supply. Why do you think it's in Canadian taxpayers' financial interest to help Canadians buy a first-time home instead of allowing them to rent? We want to do both. We've obviously increased the ability for rental housing to be constructed, and that's, that's really important. What we're doing here is we're saying that there's a vehicle that we look at that can actually be an appropriate vehicle for people to get a shared equity mortgage. These kind of shared equity mortgages actually exist in the private sector already. What we're able to do is do it so that it'll be on a larger scale, it'll help people with that optimism. And from the standpoint of the overall economy, a lot of what you've seen in our budget this week is we're talking about, you know, we've already made significant investments that have helped middle class Canadians to feel more optimistic, made improvements in their situation with the Canada Child Benefit. People are in a better economic situation right now, especially in terms of jobs. But we're trying to create that optimism for the future. We all know that confidence is required for people to be able to be going out and doing the things they need to do to get more successful. That's what we're trying to encourage with these sort of measures and we think it'll be better for our, our overall economy as well as obviously better for the families that uh, take the advantage of this. Well certainly an incentive for some voters, especially some millennials, but one thing that wasn't in the budget in heavy doses was Canadian industry and Canadian business. Uh, and the Canadian Chamber of Commerce came out and said that the budget, quote, failed to address the fundamental issues that continue to undermine the ability of Canadian business to create more jobs and generate more prosperity. Why wasn't competitiveness and taxation more of a priority in this budget? Well, I don't actually agree with what you just said. I don't agree with that statement. The and Canadian I'll tell Chamber you of Commerce statement? Yeah, I don't agree with them at all. Because what you'll see if you look into our budget, there's a whole host of things that we've done that we think are really important. What I've been hearing from business executives from the last few years is getting the kind of talent they need is critically important. So we made permanent the global talent stream, the ability for businesses to bring talent from other parts of the world to make businesses successful here. We obviously put in place what governments have been looking at how around the world, how we can actually ensure people are prepared for the future of work. We put in place the Canada Training Benefit. 
Businesses have been asking us to think about how we can better train employees. It was an important ask from the Business Council of Canada. We put in place an ability for people to get up to four weeks of training every four years and the kind of uh, tax credit that gives them a thousand dollars to put towards training courses. This will help us to be prepared for the future. Really important for business. But then we've done some specific things as well. We made the, uh, the SHRED program, the research development program for businesses. We made that better for small businesses to be able to use it more appropriately. We've put in place financing and, and programs for the forestry secretar secretar sector. And importantly, for the uh, oil and gas sector in Alberta, we put in place uh, funding for a clean resource innovation network, allowing that sector to think about how they can actually make advances and get more of our clean resources successfully out over the course of the coming well, on, years. On that, why wasn't there more in the budget for natural resources, particularly in Alberta? I know you've bought Trans Mountain, and we, we mm. always bring that up and talk about mm. it, but there was a lot of disappointment out west. They say, look, there, there's been all these efforts made for SNC-Lavalin and nothing in the budget for Alberta. Well, I think that that's, uh, that's again incorrect because I just identified for you a really significant measure that we put in place for the sector, the Clean Resource Innovation Network, which is a real way for the sector to come together with research institutions to find a way to ensure that it remains very competitive, globally competitive in terms of clean resources. But are you concerned about the perception of it? If, if, if that's in the budget, right? But are you concerned about the perception in Alberta? Well, I think what's important is that we address the reality of the challenge there. And the uh, reason we go back to talk about the Trans Mountain Pipeline is because it is so critically important for the sector. So that decision and our continuing focus on ensuring we can get it done in the right way is, we know, the most important issue for the sector. We know that 99% of our resources in the oil sector in particular go to the U.S. We know we need to get to international markets. We know that that allows us to be part of a, of a globe that can be more effective from a carbon standpoint because we can displace coal in places like China. So getting resources to market is critical. It's why the Trans Mountain Pipeline, in our estimation, is so critical. We don't have much time left, but I want to ask you as well about SNC-Lavalin, because your name has come up over and over again in this controversy. The CEO of SNC-Lavalin has come out and said he never told the government that 9,000 jobs would be lost if they did not receive a deferred prosecution agreement. What did SNC-Lavalin tell you? You know, I, I, uh, I'm always talking with businesses across the country about how we can have a robust and, and effective business sector. Uh, the specific discussions with SNC-Lavalin would have been along the lines of how we can we make sure that we continue to have an effective economy. Uh, what I know in this particular situation is that I was concerned, as I would be concerned for any business in this country, that we have an opportunity for us to continue being successful. But did successful. you have any independent evidence that 9,000 jobs would be lost? Was there any kind of research done by your department that showed that? The issue really I think that you're getting at is that what we always want to do is make sure that as we consider any decision we're making in government, we need to think about the potential impacts of those decisions. So for me, what I'm always going to do with my colleagues, what I'm going to do with the broader caucus, what I'm going to do with Canadians, is talk about the importance of great jobs. But did you what have I, any hard evidence that suggested the company was going to move and those 9,000 jobs would be lost? Well, of course, what you have whenever there's a business that is in jeopardy of you know, being uh, 
uh, not able to continue operating, you have a situation where jobs will be at risk. That's just by definition the reality. And so that's just something that I should always be bringing forward to Canadians. But there was no sure actual that that assessment or evidence of that. There's, there's obviously the case that in any situation where a business represents itself to having challenges, that they're going to be impacted. It's important for me to make sure that people understand that. When it comes to Jody Wilson-Raybould, you both agree you met in the House of Commons. You had a discussion. She told you that she wanted you to back off on the SNC-Lavalin file. Did she tell you at that point that her decision was final? Let me just bring you back to that. Um, I never did have a meeting with Jody Wilson-Raybould on this issue. She walked up to me at one stage in the House of Commons and informed me that our political staff were talking. That's, in my estimation, what they should be doing. So. I'm going to always be working with my colleagues to make sure they understand the economic impacts of things. But did she tell you her decision was final? No. Okay, so you thought there was still the opportunity to convince her? I wasn't engaged in any convincing. My job is to make sure that people understand the economic consequences of their decisions. And so, you know, I'll always continue to do that. Okay, Minister, we're out of time, but thank you so much for joining okay. us today. Thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks for listening. I'm Mercedes Stevenson for The West Block. For more, please go to our website, thewestblock.ca. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.